Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-389. This is your friend Chris, and I feel like I need to introduce myself and what we do here, in case there might be a few new listeners. And you know what? It's a challenge for a couple of reasons. First, because we've been at this for over a decade now, (laughs) and over the arc of that decade, you and I have been through many seasons of both our lives and our endurance adventures. And I certainly will share with you what adventures I'm pursuing in this season of the brief ride that we call life, but it's going to be different from what we were talking about three years ago, and will be different again, God willing, in three years. And uh, spoiler alert, my current season is one of training for a 100-mile race, and today's episode will topically reflect that. So today, we talk with two guys that I met and got to know through the last decade, Mike and Kevin, whose respective noms de enduroger are Dirt Dog and Just Finish. And how weirdly cool is it that we get to give ourselves handles? It's either cool or just a little sad. And I'm talking to them because they have agreed to pace and crew me for my race in four weeks. I'm also going to give you a longish update of my last training week because this training is just so long. It culminated in 93 plus miles and a 50 mile long run. It's just so long that it's going to take me forever to give you an update. And since the interview is long and my training update is long, you're just getting the, those two things, that just, just this one article this week. Remember, up in paragraph one where I said there were two reasons it's hard to describe who we are here at Run Run Live and what we do? And the first was that it depends on what season we're in. Well, the second is because you're going to get what floats through my brain in a particular week, and who knows what that's going to be. We... <laughs> We have different themes, but it always circles around to the power of endurance sports to teach us, to change us, to give us perspective. And that perspective is transformative in itself and humbling. You and I and Dirt Dog and Just Finish, 
We're all crushed by the gravity of change together in this community of endurance. So here we are, episode 389. You know, 389, another good year for classical references. 389 BC, the Athenian general Thrasybulus led a force of triremes to levy tribute from cities around the Aegean in support of Rhodes, where a democratic government was fighting the Spartans. And what's interesting about this, you say, Chris, you just threw a whole bunch of words at me that I don't know. Well, what's interesting about this is that on this campaign, Thrasybulus captured this little sleepy, swampy town called Byzantium. And he did this so he could so he could stop ships that were passing through this little place called the Hellespont. And the Hellespont is that narrow opening that connects the Aegean Sea to the Black Sea. And many scientists believe that this opening was caused by the ocean catastrophically blasting through this little sliver of land as the sea levels rose after the last ice age. And it's the historical and cultural source of the great flood myths, Noah being one of those. Anyhow, Byzantium was a town founded by the Greeks like 300 years earlier, and it passed back and forth with the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans until about 330 AD when Constantine moved the seat of the Roman Empire there and founded what would become Constantinople. And Constantinople held out until 1543, when the Ottoman Turks finally took it over, and now it is Istanbul, the heart of Turkey. See? 389. Another suitable number. Entirely suitable. My training is (laughs) growing well. I guess it's growing well, too, until I get to my taper. My training is going well. And I've got one more big week of miles, and then I'll taper into the race at the end of the month. Nothing is broken, so we'll see. It's all good. Over the last few weeks, you've probably you probably saw a plague of emails from all the websites and social media sites and all this other stuff, many places you probably don't even remember signing up for. And this is because of the recently enacted GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation, enacted by the European Union. And it's basically the rules around what you can and can't do with people's data, and what you have to tell them when you're doing it. So in the spirit of the GDPR, I'm going to let you know what I've been doing with your data. So when we first met your data and I, your data was very shy and didn't interact much. But over time, as we got to know each other and spend time together, your data and I we formed a bond of mutual respect and and affection. There have been many warm summer evenings where your data and I have taken long walks on the beach and shared stories around an open campfire in the twinkling starshine. And don't get me wrong, I've always been a perfect gentleman with your data. Well, there was this one night when we might have had too much sangria at the Cinco de Mayo party, but... Let me not tell tales about the chance encounters of consenting architectures. Mostly, we just cuddle. So yeah, your data is safe with me. On with the show.
And now for today's featured interview. So let me do this. Let me have each of you give me the 200 words or less on who you are and what you do and why we're talking. Any sequence you would like. Since you're together, you can look at each other and use cues. You pick first. Mike's pointing at me. I'm Kevin Green. I've been uh, doing some ultra running for about eight years now. This guy next to me, Mike Croy, is the one who got me into it. And I ran Burning River in uh, 2010, paced Mike in 2009, and uh, excited to get you there in 2018. All right. Awesome. Mike. Oh, yeah. My name's Mike. I've been on your show before, Chris. I had this uh, little podcast, Dirt Dogs Rambling Diatribe, for several years. Took it through my first 100. I paced Kevin to two, including Western States, which happened this past weekend, which was fun. And uh, I'm a high school principal, do some yoga, all that stuff. So we're just sitting on Kevin's back porch talking to you so we can yeah. get you through your 100-miler. Uh, so Kevin failed to mention that he did the Grand Slam that one year, right? Oh, yeah. What's that? Yeah. Was that four races? I think I interviewed you after that. You did. That was a while ago. That was 2011. That's, uh, yeah, 400 milers, Western States, Vermont, uh, Leadville, and, and Wasatch. That was back when right. I was a runner. You guys are, so I got two things going for me here. You guys are pros, and we know each other. You're both solid guys, solid runners. And you're both Burning River veterans. So I want to pick your brain about what I have to do to organize this thing. And then uh, also about the course, right? Because I'll be honest with you, I chose this course because it looks like an easier course <laughs> compared to some of the shit other races, right? It's relatively an easier 100-miler. There's a lot of road at the beginning, a lot of uh, rails to trail, not too many steep climbs. But when they do come in, they're usually on the back end when you start to get tired. And late July in the the Midwest, the heat, different than Western states, the humidity and the heat can get to you. So that's something certainly that you, being out on the East Coast, I think you probably will start to see that uh, come around, right? Yeah. I mean, my major problem on these long runs, so I'm up to 50 now. I did 50 this weekend. I did 50 on Saturday and 15 on Sunday. And my number one complaint is the skin loss, especially on the undercarriage. It doesn't matter how much I lube bed. I am I am having some really intense showers. Yeah, it's because of the humidity, right? I think so. I don't have any any advice other than lube, lube, and more lube. And then just deal with it, I think, is kind of the, the advice, right? You can only lose so much skin. After a while, it just sort of becomes sort of a dull pain, background noise. So when you guys uh, take turns here, but give me the top three organizational things that I need to know about crewing and running this 100-mile race? Well, I'm assuming you have your nutrition kind of plan. I mean, you know what you're going to eat and what, what you need to take with you out of each drop bag or aid station. Or if I'm not, working you, need to, on it. you need to give that a lot of thought. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. And what are you doing now? What do you do on your 50-miler? So I went with the hammer gels on my 50-miler, and frankly, they got me kind of uh, rumbly in the tumbly. I don't think it was enough. And I had gone to them because I was trying to use smoothies before, and they were just too much effort to carry all that shit around with me. So I got to find some kind of real food that doesn't wreck my stomach. But I found the hammer gels to be just too sugary. So I think I'll go with some combination of real food and uh, hammer gels and do the Endurolites too keep my salts up and then just drinking water yeah i got a backpack okay which is good and bad the backpack after a while gets pretty heavy and also uh, that shapes too when it's humid and wet yeah i'm just looking at the course guy trying to see what's the longest you have to go before you can refill 
not bad. It's only 6.8 miles. Oh, shit. I can do that on one bottle. Yeah, I would think I mean, I, on, one or on, two. I carry, on a, I carry two. Yeah, on a hot day, I could do it with two. I got a, a waist belt, sort of a V-pack, a hip pack that I can put a bottle in as well. And that's what I did when I ran the Vermont 50 back, what, 10 years ago now. So, yeah, I mean, if it's only six miles, that's nothing. But, again, you well, don't want to get thing, behind, you know, right? Right. Well, that, and when you're back mile 80 and you go six miles, that's, that's two hours. No, I'm with you. I've been training at about uh, five miles an hour, so slower okay. than a 12-minute mile. So I have the, that, like I said, I've been running 15 miles on a Sunday, and usually for a 15-mile run, I just grab a bottle and go. But I realize i got to take two bottles because it's taken me over three hours to get that 15 miles done. So I'm, right. I'm learning this stuff. Are you doing a, like a run-walk strategy, or are you just going to run until you can't run anymore and, and walk it in, or what, what are your thoughts on that? So I started out just doing the run until you're tired and walk the hills kind of thing. But a couple of things. I found it was terrible in that the last, like, 5, 10 miles of my training runs were awful. All right. So I switched to a one-minute walk, four-minute run because the math is easy. I can do it on the zeros and the fives, and that's what mm-hmm. I've been doing all of these long runs. The only thing I don't like about it around here is that I end up walking on a lot of downhills because the cadence is wrong. So I think in the race, I'd probably run more of the downhills and walk more of the uphills, but it seems like a pretty flat course. I did more elevation on my 50-mile training run this weekend than is in this whole 100-miler. So I'm not sure what the hills are like, but I I like front-loading a lot of walking for this because it seems like you're going to need that on the back end. I mean, you guys tell me. It's been a while, but I I do remember the last half of the course being harder than the first half. Yeah. The first half is are pretty much exposed in road, and it's almost one of those things where depending on the temperature is you start at 4 a.m. You try and get a good bulk of your miles in before the heat comes in. One thing that I know I did in my training was to try and get out at different points of the day. I'm normally an early morning runner, so Mm. trying to get out in the heat to just acclimate yourself a little bit because I know that sapped me. And then when the sun went down and after I had some nutritional issues, when the sun went down and it got dark and a little cooler, then I was able to make up some time. It is a really runnable course. The, the back half, when you get tired, is a little more technical. I guess if I had to give you like three crewing tips is the first one makes all the difference is when you set at the start line, there is no stopping until you get to the end. You tell yep. your crew that. There's no other. I've done it both ways. One where I was like, there's no way I'm not finishing this race, and I did, thanks to my crew. And the other one, I was like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. And then at like 40, pulled the plug because I just wasn't having fun. That is your number one key. At the start of the race, if you're like, I'm going to finish this no matter what, you'll get there. It doesn't matter if it's 24 hours or it's 30 hours, you'll get there. Two, and I remember when I was looking at the runner packet today, I went back and, like, I actually did a video, and I think I posted it on YouTube, like, 10 years ago. I'm, like, I broke down every single aid station and what I was going to have so my crew did not really have to think. They just had to pull. Mm. Like, at this aid station, this is what I need, and it was all packaged together, like, thinking it through all the way. And then the third one is, with your crew, and again, it's kind of one of those things where, like, we know you, we've met, we've talked a bunch. Kevin and I, when he paced me, we've run a lot of miles together over the years, so we pretty much can just put our head down and go and stuff, is knowing your crew and, and knowing who's going to pace what section and for how long, and 
again, my success was really predicated on setting it up for who was going to pace me when and what I needed at that time. So for you to look at that, it's really a lot of the success on race day comes in, in looking at the logistics and planning it out. We're both good where we can just put our head down and go and keep motoring along if we know that's what we have to do. But anything that you can tell us or anything that you think you might need ahead of time and kind of playing it out for us, that's a huge part of you getting to the end and getting the buckle. So logistics. Yeah. And it's really just like, honestly, if it's looking at what your gear is going to be, what your nutritional needs might be, and kind of packing that because honestly, once I gave, I turned it over to the crew or even I think Kevin could speak like at Western States where he had a crew and everything. It was just, we needed to get for crew access, but we knew when to pull it out. We kind of knew where stuff was or they knew where stuff was and it was really easy. Your only job then when the gun goes off is one foot in front of the other until you reach the end. Yeah, because after 50 miles, you're just not thinking right. You're going to miss stuff. I'm with and Chris, you on that. I got it. I got a document, Mike will probably remember it, but I would put it together for all my races where it would be aid station by aid station, broken down by the miles, my estimated time I was going to arrive. I had a column for what you needed to do before I got there, what you needed to do for me when I was there, and what you needed to do after I left to get to the next station and get prepared. So I have something like that probably from my Burning River run that I can send to you as a template. Yeah, if I can get my old Mac computer to boot up <laughs> but then Brilliant. you just give that That's to the exactly. crew and you say here you go i'll, I'll be there between uh whatever 6 30 and 8 30 and here's what you got to do be ready yeah because you don't want to stop you don't want to spend time in those aid stations you want to get in get done and get out right that's the general concern that, that's yeah. the general, I, but, I, i've been one to, to sit in a in aid station for 30 minutes so i mean it's Sometimes you just got to do that. And but that's because also, you're just, it would have been better off for me to sit and maybe take a 20 minute nap than go out and shuffle my feet for another three hours. And it just, sometimes I just make that decision. Right. You know, if you got it in the bank and you know, you can get up and go and you got the crew that's going to not let you sit there forever. Yeah. And here's the, like a tale of two ones, right? The first one where I finished, it was from the get go. I told my crew under no circumstances, do you let me pull the plug? And I came into, I think it was Boston store, horribly puking, not having a good run. They sat me down. I said I was done. My wife went and, like, talked to the doctor, told me nutritionally what I needed to do. They basically stripped me of my vest and my water bottle and pushed me back out on the course. And then they said, we'll see you in whatever it was, four miles. And then you can pick up a pacer, which was, like, at 60 then, I think. walk out with you on that? Well, no, you guys sent me out on that loop, and I hated, yeah. Okay, I don't know if that's there anymore. And then once I was able to pick up my crew, my wife ran a couple of miles with me to get me going, and then it was just on to the next person, on to the next person, and it was successful. So even, like, logistically, like Kevin says, you might have, hey, this is when I'm going to be in, this is what I'm going to need. Well, then there's sometimes where you have to have a little bit of uh, open space to, to make some accommodations for it, but if you tell people, look, no matter what I'm talking, because I was feeling sorry for myself and I'm like, I'm done. I, I can't go on. When your head was clear and you tell people you're not stopping, do not let me stop. Unless they're like right. medically pulling me off the course, like I got pulled off last year in a 50K, then you're not pulling the plug. You might need five, 10 minutes to sit and then we're hoisting your ass up and getting you back out on the course and say, see you in a little bit. Or you yeah. just walk to the next yeah. aid station as slow as it might take you. You just get out there and move forward. and You'll turn a corner and you'll get going. 
Yeah, because it's a long race, and I in the big the long mountain bike ultras I've done, I've done stupid stuff and run myself out of water and fuel, and then managed to recover. Because they're just mm-hmm. long races, you you go through different phases. But this is going to be even longer. Yeah, so, and it's a cool. I mean, it's a it's a good ebb and flow. You're going to be jacked to start the race, and you got to kind of rein that in, and then just know there's going to be ebbs and flows. I mean, Kevin and I were looking at the thing, and you start the race. I think the first time you can crew access or anything is like at 20 miles. So you're looking at four to five hours in, and then there's a couple of points before you get to the 50 mile mark, and then you can get pacers. And then it's on from there. I think as soon as you get somebody with you, that's kind of the golden ticket. Yeah. So if I look at the timing, this starts at four in the morning, right? So it's going to start just when the sun's coming up or right before the sun comes up. So you're going to be, by the time the sun goes down, which is going to be like 7, 38 o'clock at night, you're going to be, what, 15, 16 hours into this thing. Right. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, isn't there there a chance of you finishing in the dark? Well, if you're slow like me, you finish the next morning. Yeah. Uh, So you run all night, which is completely okay. But, uh, yeah, it depends. I mean, also, like, do you have a target? time in mind. No, I just don't want to die. Okay. So stay ahead of the cutoffs, right? That's all you got to do. Right. And that's what I've heard too, is you run aid station to aid station. Yeah. And so like uh, you were talking about a backpack, my setups have been, I've got like one of those Nathan, I don't know, it's an ancient vest. You can put a bladder in it, but it's like one of their racing vests. Yeah. So I would carry that. I love a handheld bottle. And then I usually had like a waste pack with maybe had a little bottle or two. And you can get aid yeah. station to aid station that way. A lot easier to fill when you go into aid stations oh, than a bladder. Less chance of yeah. chafing. Yeah, the, um, the backpack's a pain, pain in the ass. But again, it's also something that, like, you try to replicate as much as you can in training for the race day. There wasn't any gear, obviously, that I hadn't tried or any. Even you, you were talking about, like, hammer gels or anything. I don't know what you have left for, like, any long training runs. But if you get the chance to practice with, like, any solid food, peanut butter and jelly, some potatoes cut up with some salt in them, just to try it out, you don't want to really leave that to race day to try out. No, I got one more big week. I capped off, like, 93 and change last week with 50 and 15 on the weekend. And the 50 was pretty rough, but the 15 was kind of fun. So I'm thinking... Your time, it was like 10 hours for 50 miles, right? That's, yeah, and 10 and change. Pretty good. Well, when I raced the Vermont 50, what, 10 years ago now? <laughs> Always talking about what I used to do, right? Get to that age, <laughs> you guys do this too? Oh, yeah. Um, I did that in 910, and that had five times as much elevation. So I lost an hour off my time. I just want to finish. I don't really care about time. Yeah, I don't care about time. The other thing, too, if you you haven't done anything like this, is like yesterday, for example, just because I knew I'm going to be crewing, like I went to my local state park and hit the trails for three hours and just hiked at like a 15, 16-minute pace. Yep. Yep. Just just yep. because power hike. Just yeah. power hike because you know that that's what I ended up doing for a large portion, the back end. And again, those yep. are muscles that on a run walk you don't get to really engage all of that. Right, especially on the uphills. That's what I did at Vermont is I power hiked all the mountains. And I remember learning that when I ran the New England Mountain Series back then because I'd have these old guys like power hike right past me when I was running up these mountains. And I got like, oh. Now I get it. But it's, it's so, not a yeah, bad idea a... to start 
power hike and just some sidewalks around your neighborhood or the flats because that's you're going to spend some time at the end of the race just walking, even when you think you should be running. I mean, my last yeah, 100 no, miles, I didn't train much for it, which is my bad, but I walked. I literally walked the last 70 miles of the race. Wow. Yeah, so because you got to kind of come to that mindset of, hey, I'm going to finish this no matter what. And that wasn't a fun day. But uh, talk, to me about, sometimes you... talk to me about logistics, guys. I mean, I'm going in there. I figure I'll, I'll drive out Friday. I got a hotel room at whatever the, the race hotel is the for Sheraton the weekend. Yeah. Right. And so what do you guys what do you guys what plan do you on doing? Gonna, gonna... Kevin has a job. I'm yeah. on summer vacation, so I don't know what time he was planning on leaving. I'm going to try yeah, to you work a half day that day. You don't need to be there until Saturday, but there is something I'm supposed to register Pacers, right? Uh, we can go online and do that. We'll take care of that. I think we can do that online, or we can do it at the aid station or the station that's yeah. there. So we'll meet you there Friday night, probably by the time you're eating dinner. All right. And I'll talk to my wife how engaged she wants to be in this. She may want to be okay. not engaged at all, which would be fine with me. But oh, well, I think she should she ride was, along. She's one of the strongest people I know. But her care for me may not uh, be in my best interest in this situation. So here's logistically where I thought I, I was kind of thinking is like meet you Friday night, Saturday morning, you take the shuttle, take the shuttle to the start. And then we would start yep. at like mile 20, the first crew access following you and meeting you from there on out. So yeah. logistically, and if you if you had any drop bags or anything you needed in the first 20. That's where we'll be. So you won't even have to do any drop bags. Drop bag at 20 and drop bag at 37. Yeah. So anything after 20, we would be able to take care of. It would just be, are we going to drive your vehicle? Do you have clear totes that you're going to put everything in? If, you, if you're carrying a bottle and you're going to put some kind of drink in it, I don't know, do you mix them up in baggies beforehand? I, in I baggies. always put them in baggies and have them ready to go. Because once you came in, like, we would just give each other water bottles and say, I need this. All you had to do was kind of stand there and maybe eat some food or adjust Change some gear or whatever. Bad. And also, yeah, the, the shoes part. So just on a side note, I ran, like, pretty much the first 30, 40 miles in, like, Brooks Launch. And then when it got a little more technical, I switched over to the Cascadias. And then the last 10 or 12 miles where it was predominantly road, road I ran in the uh, Brooks Defiance, which I think are the old old ghosts. Um, so I rolled three oh, pairs. Good, no, that's a good tip. I'll wear my uh, my marathon shoes for the first part, the Clifton. And then I, I got a new yeah. pair of these. Uh, I got a pair of Speed Goats. Man, those are awesome okay. shoes. Okay. Talk about awesome trail shoes. A little tight in the toe box. Toenails are another one of those things you kind of deal with. Right. That's a good tip. So I was thinking we'd pick you up at 20 and then just whoever you had on your crew there, roll from there. And then really it's kind of up to you. You can throw out ideas or think Kevin and I were starting to look. The back end is 50 miles that you can have people pace. And it's really kind of choppy for where you get crew access sort of on the back 50. So it might be like a 10-mile split for somebody then a 25, and then a 10, 15, 25, and 10. That's really um, the, the, the best way to break it down if you've got two pacers. If, yeah. if you got two pacers. Yeah. If, if you pick up somebody else, that, then you can do that. We're just down to, to roll and have an adventure. It was one of those things where Kev said, if I'm in, he's in, because then we both tell our wives that, like, well, Stacy said that Kevin <laughs> could go, so then my wife was like, <clears throat> my wife didn't realize that I was leaving on our anniversary to go down and crew. I said, that's okay, so it, it'll, it'll all be good. We're just uh, 
here to help you get to the finish. So give me the what you think. Should I pick up another runner to here's I know I keep jumping in. Here's my thing. When I set out to run a hundred and I started my goofy podcast, I literally had Kevin kinda reach out and this guy named Nate who now lives in Hawaii, actually. And I ran miles and miles and miles with those guys and my wife. So I felt super confident going into the race that I had, like, the crew to get me there. And it all, that part worked out. I've, we've talked enough, Chris. I've never run with you. I think we would be fine. You got to know, like, kind of what you need. And, and personality-wise, do you think that more people are better for you or less? I think if, if you got a small crew and you know that, they can pull you through, then you go with that. Yeah, and you know, I don't think Kevin's I'm gonna gone with basically no. Kevin's gone with like no crew to some races. I know. Yeah, but but he's a tough sob. So so what's is there anything tricky? Are there any major milestones on this course that I should be I should be thinking about? There's nothing you need to be scared of or worried about. There's um the covered bridge section, if that's still the same, is probably the most technical section of the course, miles like 80-ish, and that's where 80, 85, 86. But it's probably nothing that you haven't done where you live right now. Yeah, so what do you mean by technical on the 1 to 5 scale? Three. Yeah, well, 3 to 4 maybe. I mean, it's rocky, it's single track, it's rolling hills, it's some maybe a stream crossing. I remember but, it was thunder and lightning yeah. when we did it. And I remember hallucinating. But everything, too, gets amplified, right? If you're in good spirits and, and it's a good training day and everything's optimal, right? It doesn't seem like anything. Amplify that by 16, 18 hours running and you can't barely pick up your feet. So I know with the Hoka's, right, if you're not used to kind of lifting your feet a little bit more uh, because of the ground clearance, all of a sudden that little root all of a sudden becomes like a stump and you're down on the ground. Yeah. So I'll tell you a story, Mike. I've been running in the Challengers and those yeah, things I have catch those. roots and rocks. When you get tired, those things catch all the time. The speed goats have a different toe on them. They have a rounded toe, so they, they okay. bounce off of the roots and rocks when you drag your toes. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, the other logistic thing, too, is always, like, uh, for your, your lighting, you know, just make sure that you have, like, extra batteries, you know. Yeah. It, it, have a headlamp and a flashlight. Right, and then, something handy. and then, like, backup batteries for that just in case something weird or funky happens. Would um, you guys, would it be worth investing in one of those um, Iron Man lights, the waist ones? Those Go Motion ones? No, not it's Are not, they even around well, anymore? Go Motion's one of them. Go Motion's one of them, but there's a new version of that. It's basically a waist pack with a light in it. I don't know. You can get by with a headlamp and a that's flashlight. The, that's the right answer, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You, be be buy. you don't need to buy any. I don't want to spend another 200 bucks on shit. No, you're, you're perfect. Yeah. Hey, so one what about stupid, the weather? Uh, it, it's probably going to be hot and humid, and it's probably going to rain at some point. Okay. So I mean, that's been typical, I think, the last 10 years out at Burning River. Yeah. It's, it's what, July? So yeah, late July. So hot? 90? It could be 95. There's a lot of um, exposed. I mean, you're going to get sunlight. Like, I, I don't know about you, but I hate direct sunlight more than heat and humidity. And there's a lot of direct sunlight what about bugs nope yes yes there will be <laughs> bugs they'll it's not anything to be worried about i mean i remember there were some bees on the course but it is what it is you just run i mean i remember people getting but stung that, yeah now that's prime deer fly season around here that's why i'm asking and they will just pester you to death i don't know i mean like we're talking about the heat and humidity and you still got like a month left and if you haven't done anything during the day when it's hot out right even if you break up a run and you can figure a way to do it is just spend some time, even if it's power walking or something out 
during the day in the heat exposed. Yeah. I remember just one training run. I was like, I'm going to go out. It's like 90 degrees and super humid. I think I lasted an hour, came home and laid in the basement just thinking I was going to die. But I knew that's what something like that could be happening during the day. So you just know, again, like we've talked about, the arc of a day, morning if it's cool or even if it's humid and you can put some miles in, right, when the heat comes up, you may have to slow down. And then just as the temperature yep. dips a little bit, then know that you can, if you've got good reserves in the bank and stuff, then you can just keep motoring. Yeah. I had a couple of those. I had a 30, which I actually, uh, I bailed at 20. And I had a 35 that were both super humid and hot and they were miserable. The last couple I've done, the 40 and the 50 have been cooler, but still humid. It's always humid here, right? Have you done any night runs on the trails? No, I haven't, but I'm going to get some of those in. I'm a trail runner, right? So I've run at night in the trails before. It doesn't scare me. With a headlamp and... Yeah, I mean, I've okay, done all yeah. that. Just not recently. So I got to do some of that. I think I'm going to be in pretty good shape. I mean, Jesus, I miles-wise, I'm getting it done. So And nothing hurts. God help me, nothing hurts. So You got about, a, what, five weeks to go, so take it easy. Yeah, I got one more big week, and then I'll do some of this specialty stuff with the heat and the night stuff and walking uh, yeah so one stupid, one more big uh, week well, not stupid one silly piece of advice i got before my first ultra i remember putting it on on facebook and saying what do i need to do that i don't know to do and someone said brush your teeth and it sounds silly right but bring a toothbrush and a toothpaste and brush your teeth you'll laugh but you'll it, it just refreshes everything if you do it at like mile 50 and mile 80 that's a good tip because I, especially with the gels, it, your mouth gets oh, all gnarly. Your mouth gets so funky and all that crap you put in it all day, it's, it's so good. And, and what I used to do, Chris, is I would um I would plan my nutrition kind of like on meals. So I'd get up at, the race starts at 4, well, at 8 o'clock or wherever I'd be around at an aid station, I'd kind of like have like a breakfast, right? That's where I'd have a, a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or some fruit or a banana. And then at lunchtime, I kind of try to have a, something solid, too. Kind of plan my nutrition kind of on how my body was already used to eating. Because you're going to be out there for yeah. like 20, whatever, 4, 28 hours. I don't know what your goal is <laughs> or, or what we're shooting for. But it's, I finished forever. in 27. Yeah. Mike was 27. 27 hours. So, yeah, we were. you're going to get your money's worth. All right. Well, anything else, guys? We'll have a follow-up conversation as we get closer. But, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. Should be an adventure. Oh, be so what do we do after, after we finish? I mean, do you just fall on the ground? And we'll probably drink for three beer. days. Nah, you'd you be all right. You'd be running in three days. You know what I find after these really long workouts is that I can't sleep anyhow, right? Yeah. So because your body actually, shit's I remember all jacked after up. My, after I, actually, I remember, Chris, after my Burning River the first time, I uh, stayed home for a couple of days, and then I put the family in the car, and we drove out east. So that, that was my recovery. But yeah, actually, the the race finishes at a brewery. Is that new now? Brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. You might have to. All right. The other thing I don't care about, guys, is social media. That was a phase up through. So <laughs> we don't have to videotape me suffering for 27 hours. That's perfectly okay. We don't have to, or we can't. No, we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't say no. You didn't say no. <laughs> All right, guys. I'm gonna let you go. We'll keep the no, man. It's it's all good. I think I'm in. I'm pretty confident. I think it's more mental than physical for me, right? So that's right. where you're gonna come in. I have no doubt I yeah, can do it I, physically, unless I fall down and break my head. It's mental is the part that that's gonna be hard. I think uh, maybe in the next five weeks, just have that conversation with your wife that no matter how bad she thinks you look or feel, that you need to keep moving forward. 
Did you feel worse if you quit? Yeah, or keep her I off the course. Feel bad the second time, Michael. What's that? I said, or keep her off the course. Yeah, and we need someone to drive us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll All let right, you go. Chris. Yeah, the only other thing, too, is that we probably just need to, like, on the after this, is just, like, make sure everybody's got our phone numbers and stuff. So as we start going, I think we're all pretty uh, connected that way so that we can just kind of update stuff uh, and be ready to go. Yeah, so send me your planning sheets, whatever planning sheets you have, whatever sort of documentation yeah, I need, them. and uh, I'll try to make a point of reading the race guide, and uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get it done. All right, man. Yeah, we will. All right. Cheers. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Ultra training and the penultimate big week. I ran a lot this week. According to my Garmin, I ran 93.39 miles. And I'm not sure I have ever run 93.39 miles in one week. In my training, this is the penultimate, or second-to-last, big volume week in this training cycle. As I write this in my current week, it's a down week with less volume, and I'm about five or six weeks out from my event. I have one more big week next week, and then I'm in my taper. I never imagined I'd run this level of volume, and I'm learning a lot. I mean, I only started running seriously in my mid-30s. I was a half-hearted, lightly talented cross-country runner in prep school. I didn't come back to it until later in life. And even when I started running again in my 30s with my Boston Marathon quests, I was always working full-time, traveling for work, and trying to be a dad. And I was never a high-mileage guy like the professionals. There really wasn't room in my life for 100-mile weeks. I mean, I knew people were doing these kind of miles. And, I mean, I've read the biographies of all the great marathoners of my time, and I knew they were laying down those 120-mile weeks. But the math didn't work for me. That's an average of... 15, 20 miles a day. And even at my fastest, that would be something like 13, 14, 15, 16 hours of running a week, close to two hours a day on average. And that's, you know, that's what Billy Rogers did. That's what Joan Benoit Samuelson did. That's not what I could do and still retain any kind of professional or personal life balance. And part of my success with marathoning is I was able to crack that code of racing well on moderate mileage and lots of quality. So I found a way to work on the quality in the time that I had. And I found a way to squeeze in enough miles to close that 26.2 on guts and spirit. And even at my fastest and fittest, I would typically peak out at 60 miles a week and top out those long runs in the mid-20s. So, of course, you know, my goal times were close to an hour slower than the pros. And how much of that gap was lack of talent and how much was lack of volume, we will never know. I figured out the compromises and the work necessary to find those race times that I needed. So last week, I ran for 93 miles and 18 and a half hours. Now, granted, most of it was a 10 and a half hour long run on Saturday and another three and a half hours on Sunday, but it's still a bit mind-blowing for me, hard to wrap my head around, some, and some would say it's best not to think about these things too hard. 
one of the reasons I can do this now is that I am in a different season of my life. I'm at a point where I can waste an entire Saturday running alone in the trails. There's no soccer games. There's no dance recitals. So that weekend run block was a new level of both time and distance for me. 50 miles on Saturday followed up by 15 miles on Sunday. And again, this is a chunk of trail running, 75 miles in two days, that I have never done before. I'm 55 years old, closing in on 56. And I'm still setting new records in time and distance on my feet. So what are the big picture takeaways for you? Why do you care? Well, your body, no matter how old, is capable of amazing things, of amazing adaptation. And these abilities are literally baked into our DNA. Our bodies know how to do some serious shit if we ask them to do it. And if you're a lifelong endurance athlete, you have that engine. This aerobic engine is the baseline enabler of so many different endurance activities, whether it's ultras, Spartans, Ironmans. You've got the basic building blocks to do any of this stuff. The rest is just details. And form becomes more important the longer you go. Ultra running is about efficiency, not just aerobic efficiency, but mechanical efficiency. And if you've got decent mechanics, you can go forever. The longer you go, the more mental it becomes. It's always a mix of mental and physical. But as you get deep into a day of running, it's all mental. And it's simple. The deeper you go, the simpler it gets the more nuance is stripped away. And all you're left with is simply moving forward. And I guess that's life, isn't it? So let's talk details. It was a good week. I got it all done. I'm not traveling, so I was able to get up in the mornings and start my runs early. The weather was reasonable, nothing terrible, mostly cool and dry during the week, then cool and humid on the weekend. I'd get on the trails by 5.30, 6 a.m. I'd take Buddy the Ancient Wonder Dog with me for the first two and a quarter, nice and slow so he can get some fresh air and I can warm up. And then I head back out from the house to finish up. And the previous week was a light week, a recovery week, and I did all my workouts, but I ate and I drank too much. And I'm not sure if this was just the result of being hangry from all the mileage or some sort of stress reaction, but I managed to bulk up a bit during my rest week. And being heavy is not necessarily a game-ender for the ultra distances, but, you know, it doesn't help. So Tuesday, I knocked out eight and a half miles in the woods in the morning, wore my new Hoka Speed Goat trail shoes that I instantly fell in love with. My legs felt heavy, but functional. Wednesday morning, I got out for another 10.8, another nice outing. I felt strong in the core and enjoyed the run. Thursday morning, I wrapped up my midweek session with another eight and a half, wore the speed goats again, and I decided at that point I liked them so much I was going to try my Saturday long run in them. Why? Because the toe caps are really well designed. I mean, the shoes are just really well designed, and they they roll off obstacles instead of catching, and that means less falling, and I'm getting tired of falling. The typical scenario 
is that I'll be a bit tired and I'll start dragging my left foot just a tiny bit and that left toe will catch on a stump or a rock and I'll face plant. And I'm typically carrying a water bottle in my left hand and my droid in my right hand and nine times out of ten I'll reach out my hands to break the fall and depending on the terrain I might tuck and roll but I usually don't have the warning for anything fancy and I have developed contusions and cuts a bizarre trail-running stigmata on both hands. It hurts. And you might say, Chris, lift your feet. But, you know, falling is part of trail running, especially long trail running. So, long story short, the Challengers, they have a straighter tread profile that sticks out a bit. And the Speed Goats have a rounded, hard toe cap that rolls off the obstacles instead of catching. So, for Saturday's long run... I had this long checklist. I've wrote out an entire page of things to prepare. I need to drop water off in a friend's yard the next town over. I need to get my clothing, my nutrition, all the sundries all ready to go. Because I really didn't want to be hunting around for stuff in the morning. I had planned to get up before the sun and see if I couldn't simulate that early race start, that pre-dawn. Unfortunately... I couldn't get to sleep. There was a mosquito in my bedroom pestering me. So I skipped the crack of dawn start and slept in until 6 a.m. or so. Took my time, got some coffee, oatmeal, prepped. So I got out the door just after 7, which, based on projections, would put me back around 5 in the afternoon. Now, I had lost a lot of skin on my previous long runs, so I made sure to be incredibly generous with the lube, and I greased up every crevice and running point that I could imagine. And the deer flies are starting to emerge, so I wore a bug hat, which is a running cap with a bandana safety pinned to the back to keep the flies off your back and shoulders. And I sprayed this with good old deep woods off. I filled my backpack with water, and I stuck a flask of hammer gel and a bag of Endurolites in the side mesh pockets so I could reach them without taking the backpack off. And I filled my 24-ounce bike bottle that I carry in my hand with F2C mix. I mounted my new gaiters on the Speed Goats. These new gaiters are an attractive red, white, and blue Stars and Stripes motif. And I'm going to say I looked a lot like Captain America if he wore gaiters. And I decided to tape the big toe on my right foot because the Speed Goats, good shoes, but they're a little tight in the toe box. I could feel that toe rubbing. And I knew from experience that on a long, long run, I'd probably lose that toenail. Tape might give it a fighting chance. Such are the decisions you make. Fall down or lose toenail. The ultra-runner's world is full of these Sophie's choices. I set my droid to play podcasts, threw it in the backpack, and I wore my Jaybird X3 Bluetooth headphones. Now, I decided to start by doing two 20-plus mile loops because I thought this would be more purposeful and more interesting than running lots of shorter loops. And I got to it. The first loop was a breeze. I was trying to take a little hammer gel from the flask each time I felt like it and stay on top of the water consumption. 
I didn't feel any tiredness at all until I got up past 30 miles, and even then it wasn't a wall, just a realization that I'd been out for six-plus hours and still had four or so to go. The all-hammer gel diet was, yeah, I think that was a mistake. I had a rumbly tummy in the high miles, and I'm going to have to work in some real food. It was a cooler day, so the bugs weren't bad, and the water use was manageable, and it was pretty consistent. And the gators worked great. They kept all the sticks and stones out of my shoes, and and they look cool. If you want some gators, check out Dirty Girl Gators. There's a link in the post. The shoe decision worked out reasonably well as, you know, also. I only fell four times, and one of those was not avoidable. The toenail got bruised, even with the tape, but I think it's going to survive. I discovered something else that I hadn't thought about. Turns out the speed goats have a slightly lower heel drop than the challengers and the Cliftons, just like a millimeter difference. Sure enough, with that big mileage, I could feel it in my Achilles tendons. Nothing terrible, but noticeable. The first 30 miles were a breeze, but the last 20 miles, they were work. And the last five or seven were fairly miserable. I was exhausted and moving slow, and I got back from that second 20-ish mile loop with like seven or so miles left to run, and these were the hard miles. And I decided not to head out for another big loop and just run small loops to make up the distance, and it felt like it would never end. Turns out this new pair of Jaybird X3s, the headphones, they're good for about 7.5 hours, so I ditched the droid for the last bit. And when the going got hard, I focused on my hips and my elbows, just trying to keep my mechanics clean. There were no cramps, there was no death march, I was just physically tired and a bit rumbly in the tummy. And when I got back to the house, I was wrecked. (laughs) I stripped off my foul-smelling stuff and lay down on my bed on a towel, (laughs) and I passed out for a bit, and I woke up with the chills and took a hot shower. And the shower was awful. I lost a ton of skin still on my undercarriage and also managed to get chafing on my back under the pack, which is something I've never had before. So I curled up in an armchair with a blanket like an old man and I watched TV with my kids for the rest of the night. And the following day, I still had 15 miles to run. This is the running on tired legs part of the training. My legs, surprisingly, were not sore at all. I felt fine, just a bit tired. And this is interesting to me because I was mentally and physically shattered for like three days after racing that Vermont 50 10 years ago. So maybe this is easier running or somehow I'm better adapted. Who knows? My club had a brunch run scheduled for this Sunday, and it was located a couple miles from my house. And since I am cognizant of how much of a running hermit all these miles are turning me into, I decided to try to coordinate with the brunch. So I woke up early and drove over to the host house and started at 6 a.m. So I could be back 9-ish or so to have some social time with my friends. And her house is less than a mile from a trailhead of sorts, the power lines. 
So I headed out into the power lines and the mountain bike trails, which I know from my mountain biking seasons. And the weather was cool, but very humid and misty. I carried two bottles with me this time after having underestimated my water needs in the previous two Sundays. On these runs, your body carries over a bit of a a dehydration to start with. You have a bit of a dehydration hangover and you need more water than you normally would. And in one of my bottles, I threw in a Hammer Endorlite Fizz tablet, and that seemed to really help my energy level a bunch in this run. And the only way I can describe Sunday, this run, is as being entirely primal. As I got out into these gnarly technical trails in the early morning, I felt like I was the last person alive on the planet or more precisely like the first man, discovering a new world. It was a bit of a dream state. The rocks, the roots, and the dense forest canopy dripping in the mist, it was just primal. I had those Jaybird Run headphones in with music, and I just got lost in the run. It was sublime. Only a few miles in, I could feel the wet shirt that I had on starting to wear on my nipples, so I took it off, and I fashioned it into a head covering, knotted and tucked under my hat, and that enhanced the primal feeling. Here I was, this old ape, this silverback, driving through the primal rainforest in my short shorts and bare wet body, and at one point, I crossed a road with a police cruiser sitting doing a speed trap near the trailhead, And I'm surprised he didn't taser me and drag me off to the mental hospital. The last couple miles were a chore as my legs began to lose the battle with fatigue once more. And the last mile to the house was luckily a downhill road section. And I was able to find that marathon pace, that marathon form, and run it in. It took me more than three hours to go the 15-mile distance, but I was still able to kibitz with my friends and munch on some social food with them. So this is a sport that continues to teach if you let it. If you're brave enough to set goals that scare you, if you're dense enough to do things that you don't think you can do, if you're willing to try, just try, Just show up and try and keep showing up. Miracles happen. This is a sport where if you reach out, extend your hand, it will reach back and together, hand in hand, you will find the undiscovered country. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, you have staggered through the dark. To the end of episode 4-389 of the Run Run Live podcast, good for you, because there's not much cover out there and it was pretty hot. Like I said, my training is going well. I've got nothing to complain about. My garden is coming in. Looks like I'm going to get beans, tomatoes, maybe some squash. I harvested enough lettuce and kale for three lunches this week, and my berries are coming in. I was just out there and picked a few. The birds were screaming at me like I was picking their berries. I'm not sure that half pint of berries is an even trade for the half pint of blood I gave to the mosquitoes to get them, but we'll see. It's always nice to have a garden. And I noticed my thighs are getting bigger. 
that's an ultra thing. And I remember it from 10 years ago, last ultra I ran. I will probably try to see if I can use this fitness for a fall marathon. I remember I had two or three really good years after that last ultra cycle that I trained through. So maybe there's a correlation. Maybe that's a secret. Go deep every few years and then coast for a few. Certainly setting bigger goals drives bigger changes in life as in the training effect. Set a big goal and do the work to get there. It's not rocket science. Try it. You'll see. Do something that scares you. You know, I was a little down after Boston. I came into this training cycle a bit mentally jaded. Because I look at all the stuff I've done over the last 20 years, both personally and endurance sports-wise, and I get a bit blue. I think, geez, I've done all this stuff. What the heck am I going to do now? And do I have enough left in me to do anything of significance anymore? I almost feel like I'm looking at my life in the rearview mirror. But, again, I'm learning that the basic truths are still true. Set that big goal and you will figure out how to get there. It doesn't really matter if you're 16 or you're 60. It's what you do today. And I get asked sometimes over the, <laughs> the course of the last few years of my role, I get asked by people like board of directors people, what are the results going to be this quarter? And the way I answer that is that I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen in the short term. But I can tell you that we are absolutely doing the things we need to do today to be where we need to be when that time comes. Because that's what I can control. So are you setting goals that scare you? Are you doing what you need to do today, right now? to be where you want to be six months from now. And if not, you know, set the timer for 20 minutes and don't stop working until it goes off. Then do it again. You do that, and I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Alrighty, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. See if I can get this done. Get this done before the wife comes home. Mouse, mouse, mouse. Alright. <clears throat> Hello and welcome 